miracle power to heal and to uh, help us. And uh, we've looked at a number of things and we are talking about uh, the spirit of infirmity. So in our Sunday schools, we've moved through and understand uh, the fact that Praying for the sick is a, a command. It's not just a, a suggestion and uh, understanding some of the uh, 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 mindsets that oppose healing. And we've looked at all of that. Uh, we are now concentrating on praying for the sick and have praying with some insight and some understanding when it comes to ministering to people. What do we do when we pray for uh, somebody for healing and having some insight. And uh, as you've heard me say, in the early days, uh, we, we, we were always believed that God could heal. People did get healed. Um, but very often when praying for people, we were just kind of praying for them and just asking God to move and just valid. Uh, but uh, uh, it was a number of years into the ministry where uh, Pastor Mitchell began to give us some real insight as he began to press in about the dynamics of praying for the sick, and we began to look at the, what is clearly taught in the Bible that uh, spirit is a, a critical factor when praying for people. And so remember uh, our, uh, what we have understanding. Tony put up the uh, quote here about how the world views the human body versus how uh, the Western world which would be uh, the United States, Canada, Australia, Western Europe. In the Western world, man is a machine. Understand it, then you can repair it. That's uh, basically the, the human body. is just no different than your, than your Toyota. And it is just, you know, what's wrong? Oh, well, they need a new transmission. And so we're just going to pull that transmission out. And uh, we're going to go down to the junkyard and get somebody else's and uh, put it in you and, uh, and you're gonna be fine. This is kind of the mindset, you know, uh, we're just gonna fix you uh, because you're just a, a, a bunch of sinew and flesh and bones and uh, we're just working with you. And then the rest of the world uh, views that man as a spirit that resides in a house, that our body is a house. Yes, there are things that are going on that need to be repaired in that, in that body, but there's an other element, and that's the element of spirit. So this is what we were talking about, that there's more happening. And if you could begin to affect the spirit, that it's going to affect the quality of the house. If you've ever seen an old, um, uh, they used to call them crack houses. I don't know what the, the, the modern term is, uh, meth houses maybe. But uh, this old dilapidated house, and then somebody goes in there, a responsible family uh, moves in, the husband, the wife, the kids, and they start living. And then uh, next thing that house starts getting repaired. Something on the inside of that house is healthy, and it begins to repair the outside of the house. And very often that is the case when we're talking about healing and looking at uh, spirit. And so uh, one of the things that we began to uh, talk about last week, and we went through a number of statistics about how nowadays it seems like the medical community is catching up to the Bible and the sense that they understand that there's more going on than simply what's happening physiologically, what's just happening in the physical body. The, the term today, if you uh, read about medicine, a lot of times is stress. 
That's the term, stress. Stress meaning that there's something going on that cannot be measured physically. They cannot get their hands around it physically, but somehow people are stressed out. This involves the realm of emotion. It involves the realm of spirit, attitude. And uh, you, you can't stick a thermometer in somebody, pull it out and say, oh, you're stressed out. You know, you, you know they hook you up. They can try to measure your blood pressure, they, but, but they can't quantify that. And they try different ways to do it, but they do know this, that it has a lot to do with it. I told you that uh, there, there are gyms and they, you know, where you go and you go work out and they'll have, you know, signs, you know, uh, do something good for somebody. Feel good about yourself. Forgive. And, and all this language of the spirit. And so they're beginning to realize it. You go to the doctor and they'll ask you, do you feel stressed out? Are you depressed? And, and they begin to operate in a, an entirely different realm that the Bible has spoken of very clearly uh, to us. Uh, and, uh, uh, and so uh, we want to uh, continue looking at that um, this morning. And, uh, and so our, our foundation uh, passage this morning is Luke 13, 10 through 17. Gilbert, will you, will you get that for us? Luke 13, 10 through 17. And uh, while he's getting that, uh, I also want somebody to get Proverbs 18, 14. Uh, Kim, uh, you can get that. And uh, might as well throw out these verses right now. Deuteronomy uh, 28, 15. Deuteronomy 28, 15. Chris, if you can get that. Uh, John, I thought I saw your hand. Exodus 15, 26. And Romans 5, 12. Doris, John 5, 14. John 5, 14. Richard. And uh, uh, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Exodus 34. Larry, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And how about two more? Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. Uh, Tracy. And then one more. James 5, 13 through 16. Paul, you can get that. And uh, we're going to... Um, Let's see how far we get. I like to take a little time uh, when we uh, get involved in all this uh, material uh, and uh, believe God to help us. So Gilbert, why don't you get us started this morning, Luke 13, uh, 10 through 17. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands upon her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. And the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the multitude in response, There are six days in which work should be done. Therefore, come during them and get healed and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrite, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated and the entire multitude was rejoicing 
over the glorious things being done by him. So we uh, look at this verse because the Bible tells us this woman had a spirit of infirmity. Remember the language that we looked at here that the Bible describes this woman as uh, livestock that had been tied up and on the Sabbath was thirsty. And he says, you would untie your animal and take them to get water. And here he uses the imagery of this woman who had been tied to a spirit for 18 years that had bowed her, that had limited her. And uh, Jesus says uh, that all he did was untie this woman from a spirit. All he did was set her free from a spirit that was uh, having a physical impact on her body. Now, you know, we, we said that you go to the doctor. I'm sure if they did a CAT scan and an MRI, they would have, uh, uh, you know, they would have seen a physical uh, condition. But Jesus said there's more happening here. Man is a house with the spirit in it. There's more happening inside of this person than just what can be measured physically. And this woman gets set free. Proverbs uh, 18, verse 14. The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness. Your spirit matters. Your spirit plays a role. And so we're not going to go through all the, the uh, uh, statistics, but uh, as we went last week, we, we looked at how they've measured this. They study people going in the hospital. They're curious. Uh, do they get visitors? Do they get prayed for? Is there a difference in in uh, uh, outcomes where uh, people are prayed for and people are not prayed for. They study. Do people who go to church get sick less often than people who don't go to church? They study this in relationship. Are people who are married or in report that they're in a happy marriage physically healthier than someone that's not in a happy marriage? And so we know that there are, uh, 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 you know, so my mind goes blank, but there are, you know, there are margins and there are unique situations, but by and large, if somebody is a regular church attender, somebody is prayed for when they're sick, if somebody's in a, a happy marriage, they're going to be healthier than someone who's not. Insurance companies rate people based on behaviors, based on these kinds of things, because they know that there's more than that's happening than just simply uh, uh, what's happening physically to them, but they're sitting there and they're trying to quantify and measure spirit and what a person is like on the inside and how does that make a difference to them uh, physically. And uh, so we talked about uh, uh, stress. We talked about uh, anger, hostility. I remember uh, years ago, I read that uh, uh, people that suffer from chronic loneliness are, uh, have the same physical effects as if you've been smoking and drinking. That they, they, they have the same physical breakdowns in their body. And so we're always being warned, you know, you buy a pack of cigarettes and it tells you on the side that this is gonna kill you. Uh, and yet, uh, here's something like loneliness. It has that same effect. Uh, it cuts your life uh, expectancy by 14 years. So this is why we're talking about this. So the idea being that when we are ministering to people who are sick, one of the issues is what about what is going on spiritually? 
what is happening in their life. Now, in a context of a local church as a pastor, and someone will say, I need prayer, and you'll begin to talk, inquire about that. I'll talk more about that a little bit later on, but just this idea of what, what's going on. Sometimes they'll say, how long have you been sick, or when did this happen to you? And then you'll ask, well, anything else happened around the same time? Anything else take place? Was there some sort of a trauma? Was there some sort of burst of rage and anger? Was it, you know, and you begin to, uh, begin to address spiritual issues that are in their life. A lot of times you're talking to people with certain sicknesses and you'll ask them, have you ever been involved in witchcraft? Have you, you know, would you ever tamper in that? M you know, most people who have messed around in witchcraft don't even realize what they were doing was witchcraft. They were small, they didn't do it, or, you know, I've had them come and say, well, my mother used to take us to a curandera, and she would uh, crack the egg and put the onion and a little salt and pepper on us, and, uh, and uh, you know, and this happened, or some people have been to a palm reader. You know, it's very interesting, our outreach on, in Fiesta with the tent, foretell the future, uh, how many uh, people go in to have their fortune read, and uh, the, the, the person will grab their hand and look them in the eye and say, you are going to die. And then they're freaked out. And then they say, the Bible says it's appointed unto men to die. And then judgment. And witness to them. And they'll say, oh, I'm a Christian. Well, how many know you're a Christian? You're not getting your palm read. So people get involved in this stuff. And they don't even realize that they've opened themselves up to spirits. They've opened them. They've stepped into a spiritual world. Witchcraft is simply accessing spiritual power outside of God's method or order. Instead of tapping into spiritual power through a relationship with Jesus Christ and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they say, I want spiritual power, but I don't want to go get it that way. Last night we were in the back. Of, uh, uh, you ought to thank God for your air conditioning this morning because we didn't think we'd have it last night. And... Uh, you know, they're opening up the big power boxes, these giant fuses. Uh, and uh, and uh, you know what? You got to be careful messing with power. There's a way to do it. If you don't mess with it the right way, it'll mess you up. Well, you, you mess with spiritual power, the same thing happens. And people dabble in the, all this stuff. And the reason they're attracted to witchcraft is because you can be involved in witchcraft. You don't have to be holy. You don't have to be righteous. You don't have to forgive. You don't have to live clean. That's why people would prefer to have that kind of power. But they step into this, and then it begins to manifest itself in their bodies because they've tied themselves to a spirit. Okay. Uh, Deuteronomy 28, 15. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Keep, just follow this because it's of quite a few verses. Go ahead. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, with the scab, and with the itch from which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with the madness and blindness and confusion of heart. Okay, so uh, what is, these are just a composite of a number of verses. Deuteronomy 28 is the great blessing and cursing chapter of the Bible uh, where he really does address 
uh, all the things that happen. It begins with a few verses on the blessing of obedience and then most of the chapters about the curses that come upon disobedience. But uh, what I did there is I just simply grabbed um, the verses. Go back to the, the first part of that, Tony, where he begins to, or the next one, he begins to lay it out to him. The curse would be the fruit of your body, consumption, fever, inflammation, burning fever. Uh, okay, tumors, boils, the scab, the itch. Blindness, madness, confusion. I mean, this is what he says is going to happen. Stepping in to this arena, operating and disobedience, what we would call something that belongs in the realm, the spiritual realm, is going to have a physical manifestation. Things were going to happen, and the Bible says it was going to be the product of something spiritual, something that's taken place in their lives and having this kind of effect on them. And so uh, we, we said, you know, people say, well, you know, uh, this, you know uh, is, is, am I sick? Does that mean I've sinned? Or I'm hurt? Does that mean that I've sinned? What we're saying here is that sickness and disease and death all came from the curse. It all came from Sin, whether it's a person's sin or the fact that their great-great-grandfather Adam sinned, this is what you and I deal with. And so when you're ministering to people, it is not wrong to, or insensitive to kind of move in this realm and, and say, is there issues, is there something going on here? That to interview somebody and to, and to ask them that, is not like, well, you know, you're just prying, you're just trying to make me feel bad and all this, my fault. It's like, well, no, if there's something going on the inside, amen, better that you just confess it, talk about it, than just take some Prozac and forget about it. Anybody here have anything right at this point? Bridget, anybody else that I see here? John, okay, Bridget. So I don't know how to word this, but this person doesn't come here anymore, hasn't for a long time. But I met with somebody that, that wasn't right with God. One time just trying to talk to her, and I didn't know how backslidden she was, but she said some things to me. And after our conversation, literally, it was, even to, to this day, it was the worst sick I've ever been. The doctors couldn't figure it out. All, I had all the symptoms of being pregnant. I had morning sickness all the time, just, you know. And I'm going to the doctors. They don't know what's wrong. They're not asking those questions. Have you, you know, been to a Kudendetta? Have you, you know what I mean? But I knew what it was. And even Yolanda said, what's wrong with you? I'm missing church. And so I knew that I was going to be taking a vacation where there was one of our, or our church that I knew. And I was going to tell that pastor's wife because I didn't know how to say it. And so as soon as she saw me, she goes, who have you been talking to? What happened to you? You have 10 seconds to tell Pastor Ruby. I'm like, she literally gave me two weeks. And so... I said, uh, <laughs> so it was interesting because she prayed for me, but still nothing. And then I came back and talked to you. And as soon as I told you everything that had been told to me and you prayed over me, it, I mean, for three months, I was super sick. And as soon as I told her what, it ended right there. And to have to be physically that sick just because somebody spoke something into my life. And so I, 
I just, I never really caught it, the whole thing, until just now what you were saying, like, wow, that's what really happened, yeah. is that spirit came upon me. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew it, but I didn't know how powerful those words could be. Yeah, very good. Now, I, I, I cannot remember chapter and verse, but uh, the words of a talebearer, somebody quickly find that in their Bible, the words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, uh, or the King James says are like wounds that go down into a person's spirit. Somebody, anybody got that? Who's got a quick Bible? Somebody here must be a total recall of every single scripture in the Bible. I'm looking around here. Somebody like, I know it, but I want to show off. Words of a talebearer like tasty trifles. Did I make that? Maybe that's not in the Bible. Joe Michael, leave it to somebody who grew up in children's church to try to find it. I need to somebody, uh, where are the microphones? Leave it with somebody with an iPhone. Uh, Proverbs 18.8. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the inmost body. Is that King James or New King James? That is New King James. Go to King James. Can you switch it over in that fancy contraption there? The words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Yeah, so you know what that is exactly what Bridget described. Somebody says stuff to you that wounds you wear in your belly. Okay, you, you can be told things. Said, things can be told to you. You know what I mean? And you can, and, and they, they you say, what is that? Words are spirit, right? Words, no, no, it's the germs that were inside there, you know, as they spoke. Yeah, well, in one sense, yeah, but they're spiritual. Something happens. You can hear these things. Look at that. Tremendous technology here, but uh, that, that, you know, you can hear stuff and they, can, and they can have that kind of impact on you. They can check your spirit. That's why you have to be careful. You always tell people, listen, it says remove your foot far from her house. Don't go near the door of her house. And we automatically think of, uh, you know, uh, the immoral woman, but it's not always immorality. Sometimes it can be somebody who you just know. You know what? I'm going to sit with them, talk with them. This is going, I'm going to walk out of there feeling unclean, feeling, being defiled. This is, going to have, this is going to have a spiritual impact. You know, if you want to live for God for the long haul, you know, choose your associations wisely. Choose your associations wisely. Every parent here who ever sent a kid off to middle school knows that you, you can discern how your kid's doing by who they hang around with in school. Okay, you can say, well, he's a good boy, but all his friends are, are you know, are gangsters, are part of MS-13. You might want to be concerned about that. You know, if, if, if your daughter is, you know, this, this godly, modest girl, but it, uh, all of her friends are, are uh, immodest, you might be a little concerned because we're going to take on the spirit of the people we associate with. So I tell them that says, well, I know that nobody else in church talks to them, but they're my friend. Well, you might want to be careful about that because we're affected. Our associations make a difference in our lives. And so a very good Bridget. John. This is, I guess, more of a question. Uh, when you're talking about the spirit of disobedience and what that can bring upon us physically, um, dealing with someone over the past week, a relative, after praying with them, 
fighting the spirit of witchcraft, explaining to them all these things that, look, this is where you are, this is where you were, and if you uh, go outside these boundaries, this is where you're going to go. And then have them turn around and look at you just an hour later and say, I don't care. I still want to do what I want to do. I don't want these boundaries. Yes. I mean, and, and understanding what the possibilities are going to be down the ramifications down the road, it's like, you, you don't understand. I've, I've already explained all these things, but yeah. that's, I guess at some point you just have to kind of let them go and pray for them because that's all you can do. But ha- just guess, maybe you can give some insight as to, to what, you know, what can we do? You well, know. you know, yeah, John, because we're dealing again, you know, there's authority and I kind of a little bit aware of what you're referring to, the situation and the power. You took authority there. And immediately you brought some sanity and some structure, but he has to make the decision. And, the, you know, the scripture that I think about is, remember when, when David was on the run from King Saul and the uh, city of Keilah was uh, being overrun by the enemy. And David, he's, he's a fugitive, but he's got his mighty men. And he hears that the city is in need of help. And so David and his mighty men go and deliver the city and drive out the oppressors. And the city is delivered, uh, and David is the hero. He set him free, but somebody went and told Saul, hey, David is at Keilah. So Saul gets his armies, and they head over to the Keilah to, to get David, and David prays and says, God, when Saul arrives, will the people of this city turn me over to Saul? And God says, yes, they will. So David has to leave, and Saul comes in, and the, the oppression returns. So, you know, I mean, that's a pretty powerful imagery, right? Jesus, David is always a type of Jesus, you know, who comes in, delivers us, but yet we have no desire to enthrone him, you know what I mean? And next thing you know, he, he, Jesus is gone, and here comes the oppressor again. And that happens all the time, you know, unfortunately, uh, when we're praying for people that we see something very genuine happen. They get genuinely healed. They get genuinely delivered. But they don't engage their will to say, hey, I'm going to serve God. I'm gonna, and, and so it, it doesn't last. That's why I tell people a lot of times when I pray for them for deliverance outside of church or healing. And, and uh, I, I, tell, I always tell them at the end, listen, this is not getting healed or delivered isn't enough. You have to repent. If you don't repent, then nothing's, you know, nothing's going to change. There has to be an engaging of your will. And deliverance and healing, it's not that. It's repentance. That's the human choice. That's that, that eternal part of us that God breathed in us, that soul can repent and turn and make powerful decisions. Uh, uh, Exodus fifteen twenty six, And said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, Give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put none of these diseases on you, which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. That is, I am the Lord that heals you. I am Jehovah Rapha. You hear the term Jehovah Rapha? That's the verse right there. I am the Lord who heals you. This is who he is. And so listen to the verse again. He says, if you'll heed the voice of the Lord, do what is right. Give ear to his commandments, keep his statutes. Okay, so here are, and those are, that's the language of obedience. That's the language of, of honoring God and trusting God and, and there, and he attaches it to the next part, which is the health factor. Now, 
we could at this moment stop and think about how much sickness is in the world today that is a product of disobedience. I mean directly. That is, that is just a product of it. I mean, uh, aside from just spiritual things that are going on, how many people today in the world are sick directly as a result of their own disobedience? Anybody come up with uh, any particular sicknesses that are tied directly to disobedience? Anybody come to mind? John, you still got the mic on you? Okay. And anybody else? Doris, Ruby, Joe? We'll, we'll get one. Uh, okay, Royale. Go to Royale next since he's right behind him. Eight. Okay, let's talk about AIDS or VD. Uh, they don't call it that anymore. I'm sorry, I'm showing my age. STD. And, uh, uh, you know, when my wife and I got married in the state of Arizona back in 1982, you had to go and have a blood test to make sure that you weren't uh, infected. Everybody did. And that was the way it is. Here in the state of Texas, Today, they don't require anything. There were two back then. There are 33 now. That, I'm sorry, that was about five years ago, 33. We might have an updated number here. So, what, what, but that's a direct result. Can we all agree that if people uh, 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 live clean, married, stayed monogamous, it wouldn't be an issue? STDs wouldn't be an issue. It is a direct result, a direct result. If I could just mention this very quickly, if you want to study the reality of male homosexuality, you'll find that it is, a, it is a dirty lifestyle. Okay, I'm not going to get too graphic. What I'm saying, though, what I mean by that is the incidences of STD skyrockets. The one that's most obvious is AIDS. And, and all that is, it's simply uh, uh, this verse writ large. You know what? If you will keep my commandment, if you will do what's right, if you do what's right, that means you will stay away from this lifestyle. And as a result of that, you're going to save yourself an awful lot of problems. Royal. Hello. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> back in the day when I was uh, young and restless, <laughs> I was... Uh, 21, I believe that time I was I was working in Japan in Tokyo, and uh, it's a Japanese lifestyle. They drink every day, so after work they drink. And for eight years, I've been doing that, and uh, when I moved here in the in the states, uh, they discovered I have a liver problem. I have a scar. And I have a fatty liver, and uh, my doctor said, if you don't quit drinking, and uh, you know, I'm gonna die. So at that time, you know, I got I got saved also in uh, the father's house, and uh, you know, you have to surrender everything. And uh, ever since my uh, liver function improved. And it was a uh, lifetime uh, ailment. So my, my liver compared 20-something years ago, it was uh, 
it was on level. So, uh, you know, pretty much I'm healed. Hallelujah. What a tremendous testimony. That's powerful. So here's a man who's in his, most of your 20s, right? Most of your 20s drinking sake and, uh, and, uh, and then gets saved and the liver, which had been failing because of alcoholism and alcohol, which is disobedience. Uh, can we all still agree if things change that much? When I got saved, I stopped drinking. We still agree that Christians don't drink? I know today, you go to a megachurch, everybody drinks wine nowadays. But, uh, but here he says, I repent. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to keep his commandments and his statutes. And 20 years later, his liver's healed. That's a tremendous testimony. Very, very good. I saw, I forget who I, oh, Doris. So I'm um, thinking back uh, before I got saved. When I, after I was turned 18 and um, hanging around with all the wrong people, obviously. And one of the things was, oh, I'm going to be cool and everything. So I, I would, and I started I picking up cigarette butts when I was probably in second grade and out of the ashtrays at the bowling alley and all and stuff. So it was one of those cool things, you know, back in the day. But I never, you know, and I got caught one time. And I'm like, oh, my God, my mom and dad, you know, I'm going to get in trouble. So it was always a hidden kind of thing. So I was never like a real big smoker. But when I was 18, like, oh, now I can go out. And so I started, you know, 18 going into 19, and I started smoking. And I started smoking three packs a day. And I remember my mom was seeing my car, and I'm like, oh, those are my those are roadies. Those are not mine. You know, my friends, those are not mine. You know, lie through my teeth. You know, and I never forget, I, at one particular time, I was at work, and I was literally coughing up both lungs. I mean, literally, I was dying. And I, they, you know, they're like, you got to get out of here. So I went to the, one of those urgent care places, and it was a guy probably from the Philippines or something. He's like, oh, you smoke? I'm like, uh, yeah, you know. It's like, well, you know, yeah. And he's like, I, I think you should stop smoking. And I'm like, yeah, right, whatever. <laughs> and, you know, as I had acute bronchitis. And he said, if you don't, you know, this is going to, it is, it's going to kill you because it's affecting your lungs. And I literally couldn't breathe or anything. Yes. And so what did I do? I didn't go back to work. I, I was like, I'm getting out of here. And I went and bought a pack of cigarettes, <laughs> went to the club, you know. And I'm just like, I'm all bad, you know, thinking in my own mind, I'm thinking like, you ain't going to tell me what to do, you know. And then... I ended up, thank God I ended up joining the military and stuff, and I had to take care of myself. And then I got saved a year later, and I got totally delivered. I mean, three packs to zero, uh, yes. just like that, you know. And my breathing, everything is, is, was fine and all, for all these years and everything. I mean, even now the doctor's like, you know, oh, you're breathing, you know. It's like, praise God, you know, my lungs sound good and everything right now. Stuff, so I'm like, you know, I'm taking it. I'm going to run with it, yes. you know, but it was good. You know, um... Uh, I don't know if I've shared, I've shared this personally, I don't know if I shared it here, but uh, I was in San Jose, California a, a couple months ago preaching, and I've been there a few times in the last year, and uh, it's a beautiful place. Uh, you don't want to move there, California, but I'm just telling you, it's, it's beautiful, the weather's perfect, it's green, and, um, and I'm there, and uh, uh, so here's Google, Yahoo, uh, Facebook, you know, everybody that's uh, ripping your life off have giant buildings there, you know. And so, and, and the employees are largely Asian. You go to, to San Jose today, and all you see are Chinese people and Indians. You see very few, uh, 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 anyway, you see these uh, people there. And, but what was it? I'm driving down the road, and you see these groups of Indian men. It's, it's the oddest thing. It stood out to me. You'll see like eight or nine, and they're just walking in a group. 
and, and uh, you're there and then you'll see another group on the side of the road and they're all walking and, and it's like, you don't, you don't see that anywhere, but, it, but maybe it's because I'm from San Antonio, but when you see groups of men walking around, you think gang fight, you know, that something's gonna happen. And it's this odd. And so I, I asked uh, the pastor, I said, you know, why are all these guys walking around? And he said, well, these companies encourage you to take a break and walk around and get fresh air. So these guys will all take a break at the same time and they just walk around, get fresh air. And I said, in San Antonio, you would never see that. Over by where I live, there are some corporate offices and it's 110 degrees and 90% humidity. And the only people you see outside are people standing on the sidewalk smoking cigarettes. That's San Antonio right there. And they don't look like they've walked more than a quarter mile in 20 years. And they're standing on their phone smoking a cigarette in 100 degree weather. But they're not addicted, they're not bound. And so, you know, yeah, all the health issues that we've been told about, smoking and everything else, and people are bound, it is a behavior thing. And that's the big fight, right? Okay, uh, who, somebody else, Ruby? Okay, I have two. Um, one is cervical cancer or cervical cancer cells. Everyone that I ever knew that dealt with it, Percy, that I knew um, had committed adultery, women. Um, that's one. And then the second one is I used to work for Estee Lauder and I saw Mary Kay for years, so I worked with skin a lot. I wasn't really into makeup, but I was into skin. And I have personally leaned, and I, I'm reluctant to say it, but a certain type of acne that I think manifests with promiscuity. And so. Okay, all right. Uh, yeah, so we know that there is, a, there is a, a physical price to pay. There's a physical toll. I mean, how many of you people that have been saved a long time, let me see how I can put this, have maybe gone to a family function or a high school reunion and realized that everybody you went to school with aged way beyond you? Oh, yeah. oh, oh I didn't expect that. I, I expect a little more humility, like, oh, you know. But, but where, you know, it's like, and you're saying, you know, you know we always say clean living does make a difference. I, I'm not just saying that. It does. You know, sin ages people. I remember going to Amsterdam uh, years ago, and Amsterdam, for, for my generation, Amsterdam was uh, what uh, the state of California is today. Anything goes. But back then, Amsterdam was famous because drugs were legal there. Prostitution was legal there. It was the first Western city that basically said, we're not going to inhibit any of your behavior. I remember uh, 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 asking the guys if we can find a coffee shop, and they laughed at me because a coffee shop in Amsterdam is where you buy drugs. And, and, and I mean, so it was just this license, lascivious, you could do whatever you want. And the thing that struck me when I went there was how wasted everybody looked. I mean, they were absolutely wasted that sin aged them. It, it, uh, the word all of a sudden escapes my mind that, I, that I'm thinking of, but it's this idea that, that uh, you're a profligate. You know what a profligate is? It's somebody who wastes their inheritance. And physically, you can waste yourself in sin. I meet people that uh, I, I, I knew in my teen years, people who served God with me for a little while, and I see them. You know, I have a picture, and this picture is of my best man. 
my mar- uh, my, when I got married. Uh, and this guy's name was Carlos. Me and him met in the seventh grade. We became best friends. Uh, he was a good basketball player, reliable jump shot. And, uh, you know, we, we went through, you know, went on the Tucson High together. And when I got saved, radically converted, the first person I brought to church was Carlos. Carlos came in, he got saved, probably a, two or three weeks after I did, served God as a disciple. At, at one point, he had a music group in the church. Uh, uh, my wife and I got married. Carlos was my best man. We move on. Uh, 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 to ministry and he's a, you know, God's raising him up and all that. And then uh, I remember I came back for a Bible conference. We used to have two a year back then. And, and uh, somebody said, Carlos isn't coming to church. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I, you know, tracked him down, talked to him. He's all messed up and, you know, and, and everything else. But a uh, couple, two or three years ago, my brother Fred, told me that he was at a Costco in Tucson and he he saw Carlos. Now think about this. Now he's about 50 years old. And if you look at him, he, he looks about 70. It is so remarkable the, the, the physical consequence of a young man that was a disciple who said, I'm not going to serve God and set his heart and saw it. Now the years have rolled by. We're talking about 30 years have gone by. And so there is a, there's absolutely a physical manifestation and how that works in people's lives. And so the idea that somehow obedience and disobedience, attitude and spirit doesn't figure in human health it absolutely is, is absolutely not true. People do get affected by these kinds of things. They do play a role. Uh, let me see here. Uh, Romans 5 verse 12. Uh, right here. Therefore, therefore, just as though one man's sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay, the Bible says that death which is a physical manifestation, came into the world through sin. And it spread to all men because of all of sin. So there's a, here's a direct link between sin and sickness. But this, this, this is part of it. This is part of the human condition. One more, John 5, verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Okay, so here's a miracle of healing. And as he's leaving the doctor's office, he said, oh, by the way, don't sin. Because if you do, this is going to come back on you. It's going to be worse. That's pretty heavy. That there's this, there's this, here again, this connection. Somehow, this is, this, is, this, is, this is all part of it. This all plays into it. And so when we are ministering and we're choosing to operate in this arena, we operate in this arena, understanding that these dynamics are at work. They're taking place in people's lives. 
and we have to minister. Like I said, I'm not advocating being insensitive or cruel or, or anything like that, but we minister to people with this knowledge. Okay, so uh, next week we're going to get into a couple other areas and we're going to talk about praying for people and approaching people and how to do that. Okay, because uh, uh, that would really help. So we have one testimony. Ruby's going to give a testimony this morning of, of uh, healing, a miracle healing that took place in her life. Okay, um, so when I was, I can remember this as far back as when I was a teenager in my teens. Um, I, well, I was born with a sway back, which just means there's a curve in your back. It, that I know of, there's no complications to it, except that it can cause a lot of um, discomfort and pain in your back. And I don't remember it before my teen years. Um, and the only problem that I had from it was that I would have problems getting to sleep at night. It didn't bother me throughout the day. But at night when I wanted to sleep, I was really, really uncomfortable. And I was sometimes in a lot of pain and sometimes just in this um, uncomfortable situation where I couldn't rest. So um, I remember having my sister pound on my back at night so that I could get some comfort so that I could sleep. Well, I didn't think anything of it. I just thought it was just, you know, my back. I, I didn't even know I had a sway back at that time. And so, um, so I didn't think anything of it until I was, uh, when I got married, you know, Ray, my sister wasn't there anymore, so Ray would have to pound on my back. And when I was pregnant with Aiden, I was in the hospital, and my back was bothering me, and I asked Ray to pound on it. And when he was pounding on my back, the doctor walked in and kind of looked at us like, that's really weird. And she made this comment, like, that couldn't be good for the baby. And I was like, well, it's good for my back. <laughs> so I, I didn't, you know, respond to her. I just like, Ray, just pound on my back. It's okay. And, um, but I filed it away because of the look that she gave us. I thought, well, maybe something is wrong, you know. So I didn't think anything of it. I just continued on with the problem. And then I don't know if it was Dwayne Rents or Dennis Wright who came and preached. And um, I was still kind of chewing on the doctor's look and that maybe something was wrong. And, and I was really, really suffering from my back the night before. So I was motivated to go and ask him to please pray for my back. So I told him the situation and he started probing. And what made me think about this is when Pastor B was talking about that we need to ask questions and you know, try to find out where the situation's coming from. Well, I remember that was like really the first time that I really experienced that where he was really probing and asking questions about my youth, my past, things that I had done. And I don't remember the questions, I just remember that the answer was no to all of them. And then he started asking me if I had maybe uh, been subject to certain violations and I was like, no. And I was getting kind of frustrated and I said, look, all I know is that my dad used to have to pound on my mom's back because she had the same problem. And he goes, oh, it's an inherited curse. Okay, let's pray against it. And so we prayed against it. And nothing happened. Like, I didn't feel a heat on my back. My back didn't pop. It was pretty much non-eventful. Um, but I've never had problems since. And Aiden's going to be 18 pretty soon. And so I've never had a problem with my back since. Hallelujah. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. God is a miracle-working God. This is his nature. This is his uh, ability to move in our lives and and there's so many things that are working in the human personality that are way beyond what you and I often understand or uh, uh, appreciate amen uh, let me see here we've got a couple more minutes 
Amen. Thank God. All right, Barbara. You had raised a question about um, STDs that when we were, um, when I got married 29 years ago, there were just a few, there's 20 right now, and 20 million new cases every year. 20 million new cases, it's out of control. I mean, just for that reason alone, people ought to live for God. Just for that reason alone. This is the world that we live in right now. So you have to make up your mind, God, I'm gonna be right. These scriptures were written and given to us so that men would understand. I'm going to keep his statutes. I want you to stand with me. We're going to, uh, we're going to pray and we're going to believe God to have his way in this service uh, and have his way. But you know, I say, Lord, you know what? It's not just what medication am I, I'm on or anything else, but I want to deal with things that are in my spirit, in my heart, and I'm going to keep your statutes. Let's pray. I want you to say, Father, today I repent of every sin. I judge every wrong spirit in my life and I choose to obey your voice and heed your statutes and I rebuke sickness and infirmity from my body and I acknowledge you as Jehovah Rapha the God who heals heal me now in Jesus name let's pray father I ask you to move by your spirit have your way God work a miracle of your grace Father, bring healing and deliverance and freedom in Jesus' name. Let's give God praise together right now. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, the Lord bless you. We'll pick up service in a few minutes.